everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Fields, a CMO for Pop Health in Mount Sinai. And I have an all-star crew with me today. Um, we're talking about provider engagement today. So we have is it all of our provider engagement team, right? I guess if we were um, missing some folks, but this is everybody. Um, I'm going to, because there are so many folks, I'm going to let them all introduce themselves. But we're really proud of this team. They do the work every day of talking to our docs and trying to get them to change behavior and do all the things we ask in pop health, which a lot of you listening I know have struggled uh, over the years and continue to struggle about uh, culture change and how do we engage with our providers. It's such a common issue in conferences I go to. We thought we would have a conversation with the team that does it every day. Um, So I will let them introduce themselves and Farland, why don't we start with you and we'll go down. Sure. Farland or Regina? How long have you worked at Mount Sinai for? I've been working here for three years. Okay. And, you, and we were just talking to you and Justin, who's going to introduce himself in a minute. We're some of the first. So, Justin, go ahead. Um, Justin Jimenez. Uh, been here since um, 2015. Awesome. And Chelsea? Chelsea Johnson, and it'll be two years this December. Awesome. Dwayne? Uh, Dwayne Quinn. I've been here three years this month. All right. Roland Nicole, Director of Provider Engagement. Make one year at the end of this week. All right. Congratulations, Roland. Thank you. Mike Oliveri, Senior Director of Provider Engagement and Outreach. Been here for three years. Awesome. So, you know, uh, here at Mount Sinai, for those that are listening that don't know, um, you know, I think the the bulk of our team started to coalesce after Neum started here around 2015. And so we were just commenting on the early days of provider engagement. So maybe before we get into the day-to-day, uh, you know, Mike and Farland and Justin, can you guys comment a little bit about you know how how we started and what that looked like back then? Sure. Yeah, we started f- with a blank slate, so we were really creating uh, presentations and discussion points about what it meant to be clinically integrated uh, in 2016. Uh, when I started here, uh, we essentially had to start from scratch, and and we had conversations uh, with all of our practices. Um, we I was tasked within the first week uh, to uh, go out and, and discuss what clinically integrated in- integration meant, what it means. It's been a, a, a fun ride. No, I bet. Hey, Farland and Justin, so what do you remember then in terms of how people reacted to you guys walking in their offices? and um, Definitely. Um, they, they looked at me like if um, I had three heads right. <laughs> at first because they were just to try to explain to them um, exactly what was clinical integration and what must be focused and and also like you know we had to just teach them what the laws about clinical integration sure. and, and how if they don't comply you know we can get in trouble because you know there's federal mandates that has to sure. be done so it, it was kind of a little bit hard in the beginning too but once they they realized they got comfortable with it they they, they started coming around right um, I think for me, the hardest part of, of trying to sell clinical integration out in the field is we had no plans. We, we were selling an IPA with no contracted plans. Right. So it, it's a matter of getting your, these physicians to trust and believe that something is coming in and, and we're promising more to come, you know, that, right. that we had something in store and we were better than what's out in the field. You right. know, we were competing against um, other IPAs such as Presby or Columbia and right. we were competing against the Long Island, you know, IPAs. Right. And here we are with only two uh, two contracted plans. Yeah. So and, and so what was what was the early promise to them in terms of why get into this thing? Was it purely like the future future contracting and future quality? Was it some like navigating the 
shifting federal policies? Was it all of it? And what were we, how were we convincing folks? Yeah, I would say it was uh, shifting policies. So understanding that CMS uh, was really pushing for our practices to go clinical, uh, clinical integration. Um, and we, uh, we followed suit. We had a few delegated uh, uh, contracts in place. So that meant that we essentially were responsible for doing the credentialing on behalf of the providers. Um, as opposed to the providers having to go directly to the plan. So, mm-hmm. as Farland said, it was really, um, we were selling a, a, a contract with, uh, with No Inc. Right. But it sounds like, you know, there are, and credentialing phrase is a perfect example, a practical thing that we could assist with that they probably struggled with to some degree. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thinking about how, how do you feel like that's changed? So you, so you think, was well, at 16, you started going out there. So now we're going on three years of engaging now 4,000 physicians uh, all over the metro area in Long Island. So h- how has that changed for you guys? So what I've experienced is that uh, what we've been selling all this time is actually coming to fruition. Yeah. Uh, a lot of providers who so- bought or who were sold to at the early stages, now they're saying, oh, wow, this is, you know, I made the right decision on joining mm-hmm. uh, the Mount Sinai Health Partners. And now it's a reality more than it was just a dream before. Mm-hmm. So when it really began, it was like Farland said, it was two, two contracts. And then a part of what I was uh, experienced when I first came on board about mm-hmm. three years ago is that, all right, these are the providers we sold to. Now, here I am knocking on their door and say, all right, are you ready? We're yeah. gonna get this started. Yeah. And so now they're, you know, they realize that this is a real thing and this is something that uh, is gonna help me and my practice and how we're gonna continue to grow. Yeah. Um, Chelsea, I wanna ask you, I mean, we, um, not naming specific physicians, but uh, when you go out in the, in the field, what are some of the issues you encounter? In terms, we, we ask them as part of clinical integration, right? They have to report data, which I'm sure was new to a lot of these folks. Um, what, do you, what are some of the challenges you see it, with some of the practices in terms of their ability to report information to us and demonstrate the work, the quality work that they do? So one thing that we've all experienced are some doctors that are pretty much just stuck in their ways. They've been doing things a certain way for so long. And um, with clinical integration and the demands that are being asked of them now, um, you know, change is hard for them. So some providers, they still don't have an EMR. So when you're asking for them to report, you know, then you have to look at paper charts. If they're legible, you know, maybe you can get somewhere with that. But there's some that, you know, you can't even read their notes in the first place. Um, so that's a huge barrier. Um, many of them, like I said, change is just hard. So having to have their minds just be able to transform with what's happening now is probably one of the biggest barriers that we're facing. So I would say that just providers that are so used to doing things a certain way and, um, you know, they're kind of, I would say, intimidated by the change. So Sure. Yeah. Uh, Roland, you, you joined us a year ago and, and uh, in a different context. We're still doing... Uh, provider relations, right? But uh, but in a different context, and I'm curious about how it's been the last year, uh, and seeing the team progress, and you're looking forward about the vision of what we're trying to build, and is it more challenging? If you tell us a little bit about your prior contacts and how it's different, or yes, actually, it's um, in alignment with what I was doing before because the big thing at previous plan health plans is getting providers to align with CMS stars and Mm -hmm. quality and improving quality and improving outcomes and improving 
member satisfaction. So full circle with the CIN, it's requiring them to have an EMR. It's requiring them to work together in reporting and quality. So it's all in alignment. And I see it as the health plan is really seeing it as an advantage because we're helping them through these providers make sure these members are getting the quality care that they need, improving outcomes, reducing unavoidable re avoidable readmissions, et cetera. So it's really what we've been, health plans have been trying to get providers to do probably for 10 years. <laughs> right. And now it's it's like, okay, we've been talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. It's here. It's time to do it, right? Let's get it done. Yeah. I imagine, you know, um, so uh, as, as a lot of you know, I, I was an independent practice in the early part of my career. And so I have sympathized a fair amount with some of the, uh, a lot of the docs in our network that, that are independent and trying to run their business. And I'm curious, you guys, if you have thoughts, do they talk to you uh, some about what it's like? And I think the average patient doesn't recognize that these are all small businesses that they're trying to figure out, trying to make payroll just like everybody else. Um, what do they say to you guys about the challenges? And and then if they see us as a help or a hindrance, um, it, you know, either way, what, what, do they what do they talk to you about? Well, I've experienced situations where you know, we are the shoulder that they cry on sometimes, mm -hmm. literally and figuratively. Right. Uh, <laughs> Do you carry Kleenex with you whenever? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or a handkerchief? Or Kleenex, hugs, <laughs> whatever keeps them, you know, keeps their spirits up and tell them that tomorrow will be a better day. Uh, either it's, you know, them dealing with payer-related payer issues, mm -hmm. uh, staffing, uh, you name it. It has, a, you know, there's so many things that come into play uh, with them being a voluntary provider. And, you know, I say kudos to them because, you know, they're out there and they're, they're dealing with the challenges every day, uh, either at the payer not paying them for services that they've rendered. And that's where we, you know, we play a, a you know, major part in uh, um, negotiating these contracts. And, you know, that's a, a small part of what we do, but it really makes a difference for, the, yeah, for, these, for these doctors who are out there. Uh, some have been doing what they've been doing for a number of years, 20, 30 years. And so all this is new. Mm -hmm. And so adding us to this component of their practice, it's, it's huge for them. And so nine times out of 10, they'll back away and say, all right, Dwayne, how can you help me? Right. Roland, you know, what can I do here? Right. You know, Justin, you know, help me out with this. What do I need to be doing? And so they really appreciate what we bring to the table. And so that's a big part, of, you know, I feel that, you know, the relationship and they know that, all right, if I call this number, I could get Chelsea, I could get Justin, and right. they'll help me out. Yeah. Not just with MSHP stuff, but also just general, you know, general, general um, resources. Right. And just to add to Dwayne, I, I just want to say that what's important is that we're trained to at least have our providers understand that we don't want to change what's going on in their practice. We want to be an extension. And so I think they appreciate that much that we're not like every other IPA or every right. other you know healthcare organization that wants to buy out their practice. We want to help you make your practice a little bit better. Right. And, and this stay is independent. how. Stay independent. Yeah. And right. this is what we can do as an extension of your practice. Yeah. I imagine that's a pretty compelling thing. That's a, it feels like a different message than right. Because the trends are definitely to buy out practices left and right, and and you know, a lot of folks that want to stay independent as they should if they can make it work, right? Right. Um, do they? Do you guys think they understand really? Uh, or I mean, I guess I, what you guys were saying before is that maybe they understand a little bit more than they did three years ago when when you guys started. But um, do, do you think they? Do you think they really get it? They understand that the sort of widget-based environment is changing to something different. I think some 
the majority do, but you know, like Chelsea mentioned, they still um, some are still in their old school ways, and yeah, yeah we we heard this before. Stuff right. is gonna happen and change, and you know, and it doesn't change. And it doesn't you know? So that's why they still skeptic. But the majority of the doctors that I've been dealing with, they 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 see that yes, the the future. This is the way of the future, and it, and they must you know continue yeah. growing with it. Yeah. Yeah, and just to add on to that, I also think that uh, for our voluntary practices, there are different levels and different stages of their of their practice. Mm -hmm. So some are in their growth mode, some are in startup, some are in wind down. And we see trends where those that are in wind down phase uh, that, you know, they're a little more resistant to any of the changes that uh, need to occur in their practice to make them more efficient. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the younger physicians that kind of grew up in this model are the ones that are really understanding what we're trying to do mm -hmm. um, and are, are actually taking steps to, right. uh, to meet those needs. What, oh, go ahead, Tony. Just add something else to add. So a lot of these community providers know each other, and mm -hmm. they're not only you know going by us recruiting them, but then they're networking within uh, their own circles. <coughs> and so I've had experiences where uh, providers will say, "All right, do you have such and so doctor mm -hmm. in your network? If not, you know, let me talk to him, and I want to bring him in." Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are following the current. As you might yep. say, some are not yep. fully invested, but then others know. All right, this is this is the way I should be going. Right, and that's and they talk know, to their friends. Yeah, and they talk to their friends. It's like, what do you know? All right, answer, <laughs> Dwayne, answer Dwayne's call. And, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. sign the contract. Get in. Get right. on board because this is the best decision that you should be making. Right. Now that's really important. Um, how have the the tools changed over the time that, that you guys have been here? I mean, you, we were talking before we got recording about we, when we started with a, a, yeah, a we tome. St we a started tome. with a PowerPoint presentation yeah. of what clinical in integration was, right. the definition. It's about a 30-page document, um, and we've developed a whole, a whole resource center and, and a whole. Uh, we have a, a clinical integration learning center that houses all of the marketing materials, all the documents of mm -hmm. uh, that supports what we're doing here in clinical in the in the uh, CIN. Um, and you know, the 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 amount of collateral now that we have is is uh, will rival what health insurance companies have. Right. And, and Roland, you spoke to this a second ago. I mean, that alignment between your work on the payer side and the and the delivery side is is pretty aligned. But do you think are the strategies seeming different to you, or do you think, or maybe not the strategies as much as? Do you, do you think we're more likely to be effective in some way as a delivery system as opposed to the payer, or and if so, or not? Or I, I believe so. Um, gaps in care has been gaps in care for yeah, so right. many years, right. and and trying to get away from chaseless and being proactive is right. is the key. And un unfortunately, part of the hurdle is getting the providers in the New York area to realize that technology is the way you're gonna get there. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna get there on paper. Mm -hmm. And you would think New York being New York City is so, would be far ahead of the rest <laughs> of the country. Right. But coming, I lived in Florida for 13 years and I moved back to New York in 2001 and Florida was where we are now in, in, in 1999. You know, I remember when I first came and come up here, I was with a major health plan and it was just getting EDI to get to 100%, where in Florida, EDI was it. Right. There was no such thing as 
paper. Paper claims, right. And we were fighting to get providers on EDI in 2001. And yeah. 18 years later, we're still talking to providers about the importance of getting EMRs. Right. And, and getting them to understand that you, as a doctor, you can't do it all. You're going to need yeah. people in your office who know healthcare right. while you know medicine. Yeah. And you can try to do both, but you, you, you got to know how to delegate and and um, give your staff the ability to say, stop, wait, we can't do that. We have to do this. Yeah. Because they're going to stop you from making those, going down those paths that lead nowhere. Sure. Why do you think the market is like that, you guys, in terms of New York? Because I found that too. I mean, it, you know, it's New York City. It has the most advanced things in the world. We got, you know, it's probably the most diverse place in the world. It's got all this stuff going on. And yet we've all experienced talking with some of these providers that are struggling with stuff that folks were struggling with 20 years ago and 30 yeah. years ago. I, I would start as, I would, as a New Yorker, I would say it starts with ego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really? starts with ego that I'm New York and they're not going to make us do this. We have too many members per square mile compared to the rest of the country, right. and they're not going to make me do this. And then yeah. you also have those who are just simply ready to retire, and they don't want to make that big investment. Yeah, it's a huge investment, of course. But being out there in those offices, I then see the son sitting at the corner, and I have to go to him and say, hey, aren't you going to inherit this practice? So uh, maybe it's something you need to talk to sure. mom or dad about in the future. <laughs> if right. you're going to inherit this or buy this practice afterwards. Right. So but, uh, Yeah, go ahead. So... Uh, I've worked in managed care since 1997 and, and have seen a lot of changes within how health insurance and health care is, is, uh, mm-hmm. is provided in New York. And um, I started a small Long Island-based insurance co- company, and every insurance car- carrier at that point had a referral process. So, so PCPs were required to, uh, to provide a referral for patients to see their specialists. Since then, some of the smaller companies, or during that time period, some of the smaller companies uh, took away that referral process. So they no longer, it was, it was called open access, so they no longer required PCPs to, to uh, send those patients with right. a referral to their specialist office. Right. Uh, instead, they made it open access, and that changed behavior. And so the sm- it started with the smaller insurance companies and then they implemented that process, and then the larger companies saw that they started losing market share. So those right. larger companies, like United and Empire, started going that same route. So everything became open access in, in New York. So no one needed referrals to go anywhere anymore. And I think that was the start of the downfall uh, for uh, why we're, we're in this situation where no one really has a true gatekeeper anymore and patients feel entitled to go see any specialist that's in their network without any, um, without any uh, guidance from their primary care physician. And that really has had an effect on uh, underlying costs um, as well as just the quality of services that the patients are getting. Sure. They don't necessarily need to see a specialist every, uh, for every visit. Right. Jesse, you were going to say something? I was just going to say, Mike kind of ended off where I was going to um, make a point, was just that in New York, I do feel that, um, you know, people search for the best. It's not like having lived in Florida as well. Um, I see a huge difference here, it, and I'm kind of guilty of it. I don't really see a PCP, but when it comes to something... Chelsea, as a family doc, that makes me very I'm sad. sorry. Just be, I'm trying to change that <laughs> for 2020. But yeah, there is just something about being I'm able to find the best. <laughs> and just choosing who you want to see when you want to see them. 
And then I just started to backtrack, but you asked, do yeah, I, okay. what do we think about payers um, versus us, Mount Sinai Health Partners yeah. and IPA? And also having worked on the payer side previous to here, I was always in the background. Yeah. This was my first field job. And I would say hands down, um, working with Mount Sinai Health Partners has been a great experience. I feel that we're 100% more effective. Payers, in my opinion, are kind of, um, and I, I, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, there are threats to, in some respects to um, primary care physicians. So I feel that being able to engage with the providers the way that we do is making a world of a difference. Yeah, so. uh, that's a great perspective for sure. I'd, I'd wanna say, to tack on to what Chelsea was saying, I recall a few years back, you know, hospitals and big groups were very apprehensive to give health plans access to their information. Right. I remember being asked to have a letter signed that stated we would not use the information we found in the charts to take back money because it didn't match up with a claim. So that's another big issue around the trust going on. And, you know, they try to get the Rios and all these other things. A lot of providers just don't trust the health plans. But even the health plans went back in time by getting rid of their provider relations field staff. No, oh, interesting. At one time, when you joined provider relations in the health plans, you went to a one-week course. Wow. And some of the bigger payers, for example, when I first went into, into provider relations, I was sent to a city for a week and trained before I went back into the field. Then the health plan started getting rid of their provider relations staff. And then all of a sudden CMS stars hit and it's like, okay, well, how do we communicate with providers without sending them they a lost, thousand letters? Yeah, they lost the skills. So they lost the skill set. They lost yeah. all these people. And now they're trying to find a way to bring it back. And, and that's, that's a big, that was a big miss. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Go ahead, Mike. And, uh, and I just wanted to give a, put a feather in the cap of this provider engagement team. Uh, you guys have done a fantastic job uh, over the past three years of not only getting providers to understand what clinical integration is, but all the clinical and quality initiatives that come along with it, and I, and I, I you guys have been fantastic. You've broken down barriers with our uh, voluntary small business practices. Uh, you've been able to get into those doors and uh, and and really get them to understand what they're doing and make a change. And and uh, you know we couldn't do that. The uh, Mount Sinai Health Partners could not do that without uh, having you in the, in that office. I totally agree. And just you know my my short time here, I, I can definitely see even a change in just in the year and a half that I've been here. And so a lot of the folks that are that listen to this podcast, I mean, we get hits from all over the country and some are leading other networks, other ACOs or CINs like ours. Um, I will tell you even from, you know, from my past organization, we had two folks working on provider engagement for a 20 county region. It's pretty s small and they did a great job, but it's, it can be pretty overwhelming. And so I'm particularly thankful to have a, a a team as qualified um, and as active as you guys are, but what advice would you give folks that are trying to invest and trying to figure out if they're going to invest in a team like what we have here? And you know, do you have secrets that you've taken from the these few years of working on this team? If you guys want to share, putting you on the spot, <laughs> what's the key to getting in the door? I, I think um, as you know, just um, be trustworthy. With the doctor, mm -hmm. of course, in the beginning, I've been dealing with doctors for probably 15 years I'm in sorry. provider relations, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just the the how the how to approach and 
make them feel comfortable with you mm-hmm. um, um, and that's the way I you know I see it like yep. that's the that's the way you have to build the, the team and in, in order to and let the doctors you know feel comfortable with you yeah you know and once that happens, you know, sometimes you can even just walk in in the office and might be, yeah, yeah, come in. You yeah. know, let's take care it's of this easy. right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's like you got to make them feel comfortable and also make them feel like, um, yeah, they can rely <laughs> on the provider engagement yeah. person. Yeah. Well, um, this is my first field position also. Okay. And I've learned that for, for one, my, my name isn't forgettable, right? And so because of that, I'd like to be very, very transparent because this provider will always rename my name and say Farland told me. So I make things very clear, I am honest. It will come back to you one way or another. It will come back to me one way or another. And I like to be very honest with my providers and I think that the honesty is what keeps me in their face and they're happy to have me yep. and I get cell phone numbers. We can, you know, yep. that, that level of conversation becomes a lot easier Absolutely. For, for the providers that I manage. Yeah, that's awesome. And just like she said, like feeling like that, like the majority of my doctors, uh, we text each other. Yeah. That's and that's yeah, basically that happening. You know, I bet that's which hard is, to do on the payer side. Like, exactly. Get the cell phone number of your doctor. And Chelsea, do you? Have- and I was just gonna just to tag on to both Farland and Justin. It really is just about being honest with them, open, um, following up. You know, just making, yeah. you know treating them as a friend. Honestly, like you said. Patients don't really think about the fact that this is an actual business, um, you know, that they're running. So I think us having that mindset, you're able to go in with that perspective and really just be there to help them. Um, so, yeah. 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 And what I like to add to that, just echoing with my colleagues, is that uh, persistence is key to dealing with these providers. Uh, and I'm just as stubborn as they could be. <laughs> so if you're not going to answer my call or if you're not going to meet with me, I'm going to go out of my way to show you that this is something that you it's need. It's worthwhile, yeah. Yeah, and I've had pretty much, uh, pretty, uh, well, just a few experiences with providers uh, who were saying, no, no, I'm not interested, no, I don't know why I signed, uh, go away, uh, don't come back. <laughs> uh, but I was actually able to get through those locked doors and work with them, and they joke with me today <clears throat> and say, Dwayne, remember the first day you came here, <laughs> and you, you know, and I was, I wasn't, I wasn't a nice person to you. I wasn't nice to you, but look, look, look at where we are. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I know, I know. That's gotta I know. feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it encourages me. All right, if I gave up on them, they wouldn't be along, going along this right. ride with us. And so, you know, that's my advice to anybody who wants to do this type of, you know, work is yeah. to, uh, to be consistent and as well as, uh, you know. Don't give up on you know what you're trying to get accomplished. Yeah, and one just to add one thing, um, like once they they know they get to know you, this this industry even though it's big is small. If you was to leave, go somewhere else, you might communicate over and and act you know meet them again. They're always gonna remember who you are, right? And what you did for them. So um, that's the way I I look at it. Like always, right. like protect your name. Yeah. Protect the, it's an individual relationship. Right. Yes, definitely protect your name. Treat them as if it was your own organization. The transparency, as Farland said, and so forth. And that personal communication. Well, something I've always told staff is you always have to have your elevator pitch ready. Because when you're talking to that front desk person, who I would say is the gatekeeper yeah, of the, the gatekeeper, gatekeeper. Absolutely. That's right. The person who you think isn't the doctor, which is an earshot, is just waiting for you to say the right words to give the give the eye that says okay, let them back. 
And then they're going to say, okay, you got five minutes. And if you're doing your job the best you can and the right way, that you'll realize that five minutes turned into 30 in no time. <laughs> right. Because you're, you're saying and, and they're realizing what they need to hear. And the reality is a lot of providers are not able to keep up with the constant change in healthcare and the way CMS stars is going and how quality is going. So they welcome it, but they don't want to let anyone in because of the trust as we as we were talking about. So yeah. I think I think that's very key that having those relationships and keeping that trust there and giving them good information but at the same time saying no when it's no. Yeah. Don't, don't lie say or yes don't right. or just because you're trying to you got to be able to say I hear you but no. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. and move on to what we can do. Right. Not just say no but say but can't do that, but this is what I can do. Sure. Rather than trying to lie or, just, or say... Instead of lie or yeah. just trying to... Because at the end of the day, they're going to know your name. Right. And if you try to leave one plan to the other, they're going to know who you are and you ain't going to get in the door. Right. Yeah. Mike, any parting thoughts about... This job is, uh, is met with uh, barriers and hurdles and it seems like sometimes an uphill struggle. Uh... But at the end of the day, again, our reputation is everything with these practices. And the providers know that we're going to be with them and be there for them every step of the way. And we'll, we'll be able to overcome together. And that's essentially what the provider engagement function and, and right. role here is here at, at Mount Sinai Health Partners. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, to sum it up, it's about, uh, you know, being a... a a person of integrity and of honesty and individual relationships, right? It's like 4,000 individual relationships <laughs> uh, that we have to build, which is not easy, but highly impactful potentially. So, um, well, at least as Mike said earlier, I would certainly appreciate you guys. And uh, I hope I know that this is inform uh, information that's really helpful for folks that are listening trying to, we, again, we get questions about provider engagement all the time. What's the secret? You know, what a, how do you do it? How do you solve it in a place as complex as New York City? And, and there's no shortcut to it. So I appreciate you guys communicating that, um, you know, honestly for those that are listening. Um, if folks that are listening have uh, other ideas for future podcasts, please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. And again, I uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks for joining. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. All right.